Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 586. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. We are stepping on something new this week. I, I am, should I say. I am in the process, would you believe it, of stepping away, stepping down from Tales to Terrify. Yes, I've made the decision. I got an email about a month ago from Scott, the editor over there, Scott Silk. And Scott said he was stepping down. I uh, you know he's been there for... <laughs> Hoodles of time as well. And I just think, you know, it got us thinking, and I've kind of put an announcement now that we're looking for an editor. And I got to thinking that, you know, the, the whole vanguard, the old vanguard of Tales of Terrify is gone. You know, God bless Larry's moved on to d- d- a different realm there. Stevens, you know, the, the host Stevens gone. And with Scott moving away, I just, I was just thinking, you know, it's probably time to kind of, pick up my coat and open that door and, and walk out, walk away from Tales to Terrify. So that's what I'm doing, yes. So Starship Sofa will be on our own in the District of Wonders. Well, it's, I guess it's still, you'll still be able to go and listen to Far-Fetched Fables as well. But yes, so I'm stepping down from Tales to Terrify, the, the, the kind of, the big chief over there. I am moving on. But I've got another little kind of idea as well, but I'm, we'll get into the main fiction. And what I've just realised is I played, didn't I play J.J. Campanella's Science News last month? But it's when this comes out for Patreon, it is still in April. There you go. So anyway, let's just crack on. So the story is, this one, the main fiction is Wrecker's Moon by David Gray. Gray is a Scots-born writer and creative director living in Brooklyn, New York. His journalistic and design credits include Black Book, Gear Magazine, Outtime Inc., Lollipop Magazine and others. His fiction has been found its way into Cosmic Roots, Eldrick Shaw's Metamorphosis, the forthcoming Children of the Sky anthology, Chrome Bay and others. Gray's first sci-fi novel, Moonflowers, is a contract is in contract, should I say, to print in early 2019 with a sequel and a Scotland set modern fairy tale following and publishing soon after. He did so much unseen world building in Wreckers Moon, the story about here, that he'd love to make it into a novel someday soon. 
This story is narrated by Andrea Richardson. Andrea is a British singer and actress with extensive stage and film performances to her name. She began narration and voiceover work in 2014, but enjoys using her existing skills in different ways. You can find her at Andrea slash Richardson dot co dot uk or on Facebook. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Wrecker's Moon by David Gray Jess Am lay on her back, watching the eye flare fifty kilometres above. A ship's coming, she thought, as a fat arc of energy burst out of the tethered ring, painting her drab little inverted world blue. Her suited feet dangled over the edge of the flat-topped metal vault, a scant few metres from the bone-shaking blur of the passing cranes and skeletal wrecks. Jess Am found a strange peace down here. The punishing G on the spinning band, the nauseating effect of the rim speed against the rest of the moon's inner surface, and superstitious fear kept everyone else away. Also, the effort and risk involved in the descent and return made the destination more worthwhile. Jess Am had to suit up, cross a click of emptiness between the wreckers' village and the top of the nearest slowly rotating cable point without slicers or bandits taking an interest, then propel herself down the thick strand, scrambling over stalled elevator cars. After a while, her stomach would lurch with the suggestion of G, and she'd flip 180 degrees and slither down the last few clicks, breaking with her suit's gloves, fixing her gaze on the strip rather than the racing, rust-coloured landscape around it. Then, a careful landing on the cable's anchor, a pause to check there were no machines lurking, and a stiff-limbed climb up the tiered side of one of the tens of thousands of identical, blocky metal structures that dotted the 200-metre-wide band. The mausoleum ring, the olders called it. It was worth it, for the feeling of weight, and the escape from the insults, cuffs and kicks they wouldn't have dared inflict when Papa was alive. Her memories of him were fading, but she remembered the broad-shouldered figure holding her tiny hand as they drifted through the cluster of shielded bubbles. Humans had never been common, or welcome, in the tiny settlement perched high inside one of the moon's honeycomb struts. But she'd seen the others look, with dislike, nervousness and wariness, but always respect at the man, and at the ancient gas projectile pistol strapped across the faded blue ship suit his father had handed down to him from his father. Then a slicer had ripped his belly on a raid, and he'd rotted away. The village's fixed boxes run dry, and no trade goods to barter for meds from rival settlements. Or no will to do so, Jess Am thought. Why do they hate us? she'd asked him near the end, when he was rambling, trying to tell her all the tales his grandmother had told him but jumbling them up into nonsense. Guilt, he nodded, sweat drifting from his wild hair. It's not hate, it's guilt. You're the last of us. You must remember, so the lie doesn't become the truth. Her helmet squawker pulled Jess Am out of her reverie. One word on the unsecured comm from Pro-Am. Gather! Jess Am's stomach lurched at the alert. She sat up with care. Even her bones and organs, adapted as Papa had said they were, took time to adjust to weight. And she studied the eye. Sure enough, the flares were regular. A ship would come through soon. Pro-Am and the spotters high above would be confirming other indicators too. The slicers in their burrows around the murky sphere would be stirring, and the fields that grappled an incoming ship to a halt would be flickering to life around the moon's anchored core. Sometimes, when a ship was a giant, the struts would vibrate all the way down from where they held the eye and its huge, enfolding machinery, juddering even the village. We need a big one, Jess Am thought, or at least a rich one. Around the moon's cluttered inner surface, hidden in the struts, tunnelled inside the carcasses of ancient ships, filling disused furnaces and dead machines, the organic castaways who eked out a living in this hostile place would be preparing. She needed to move fast. Shouldn't have been this far from home when the eye was unstable. 
but Jess-Am had never been one to listen. She knew what Pro-Am would do. Tried not to care, but hurried anyway. A scramble down the building, pausing to complete her ritual. A wipe with a gauntlet to clear some grime from the metal plate on the side. The characters made no sense to her basic written fleet scrawl, so she'd once copied them, scratching the symbols onto a thin slice of composite. When she'd returned, Jessam had taken the scrap to Growler, the whip-lean old vassal elder. He was not unkind to her, and had been trusted by Papa. Growler was educated. His long-lived species, giving him claim, he said, to memories of shipboard life passed on by his parent prime directly. And he spoke, and read, not just crude fleet-speak and its written counterpart, but a dozen old languages. Excisor, he'd said, tawny eyes turning to Jessam. You've been to the mausoleum ring. It wasn't a question. They both knew that the place was out of bounds. Instead of admitting it, she'd asked another question. What does it mean? The older had wrinkled his snout. He loved to talk, Jessam knew, but didn't want to tell her something. The former one out, briefly, and not completely honestly. It's just the name of a warship that ended her days here in the Wrecker's Moon, young one. They all are. She tried to question him more, but he'd shaken his silver-flecked muzzle, nodding to the loop that stretched around the moon's 300-kilometre equator. From up here, near the eye, the band moved at a graceful pace, the 1,700 kilometres per hour rim speed and the constant shaking an abstract, a silent rebuke not to return there. Jessam slid down the last tier. Slicers didn't seem to like coming down here either, except once, after every wreck, but it didn't do to be careless. The broad boulevard that ran up and out of sight in the gloom was clear in both directions. She reached the bottom of the wire, felt for vibrations with a gloved hand. None. Good. She started climbing. By the time G was a memory, Jessam was worn out. Her gloves hooks made gripping easy, and she was strong, young and light, but it was still a trial. The squawker was yelling for her by name when she eventually flipped in the vacuum and used her brake jets to decelerate through a pressure field into the village. She popped her helmet, glad of the familiar musky scent of the amberlit place. The air in here was fine for most species, if not perfect for any, and like the others, Jessam wore breather plugs that added vital gases to the mix and filtered less welcome ones out. Proam was drifting back and forth, swiping at laggards. There! Human rat! Useless! Almost left behind! The raid leader spat, indigo eyes glittering, taking her appearance in. Where you? Out, Jessam said. She saw him bristle. She's suited and ready, Growler interjected, earning a glare and a snort from Proam, who turned away dismissively. Growler gave Jessam a look, and she flushed in gratitude and resentment, then boosted to her locker, pulled out her kit, and started checking it like Papa had drilled her. Air? Check, she whispered, noting her suit's recycler. It was on and running from her time down on the ring, but she made sure of her levels. Air for a few days, if needed. Power for the same. Next, the extra wrist and ankle gas nozzles that would get her to the wreck at speed and back again. Jets? Check. The debonding torch that would unseal metal plates. Cutter? Check. And so on. Cables? Button lights? Beacons? Goggles? Loot nets? Salvage junk? from a dozen ships, collected and treasured. She had no weapons as such. Most of the adults had something, from sharpened boarding hooks to old gas propulsion weapons, and even a monoblade or a magnetic carbine here and there. But that was mostly to deter rival groups and raiders, and to settle the little wars that flared when supplies grew short. All organic-on-organic violence, though. Nothing stopped the slicers once they noticed you. Jessam's eyes darted to Proam, to Papa's prized old pistol, now worn at his side like a toy. She swallowed her hate. For now. Soon, trilled the largest of the village's three hoey adults. Flares constant! Sure enough, the light that penetrated the village was flickering. 
they were a click away from the eye's surrounding structure, the optimal spot, and one that their ancestors had, said legend, fought hard for. Some lesser small settlements had a full fifty clicks to boost across to reach a prize. The atmosphere screens flickered for a second, thinning the air, making the pumps whine. Coming! Ready now! Proam thundered, pulling a wide flat helmet onto his partial suit. His species didn't need full protection for cold or vacuum. The wreckers gathered along the edge, all eyes on the blunt prow emerging from the rippling surface of the eye. The shape was massive, dark, angular. Big, whistled the Hui. Proam rounded on the little triped. Maybe just wide, and the Hui shrank in on itself. Trumbleor, the tiny tech-savvy Ain, spoke up. Grapple setting up big, though, boss. Proam grunted, unhappy to be contradicted, but pleased that the prize might be a large one. Sure enough, the shimmering fields in front of the eye were extending. A ship would be slowed there, and moved out to one of the gantries that ringed the disc like a carousel. Right now, the only other occupant was a shattered cruiser, picked over for a year, destined soon to be towed to the moon's inner surface and fixed there forever, with the tens of thousands that had come before. The delicate parts, the valuable and dangerous ones, vanished into holes in the moon's junk-covered surface. No one who'd ever tried to follow had come out again. Slicer's not moving yet, advised a round teal, who went by the designation Alpha T. It was peering through a scope at the distant burrows. The machines would not move until a ship halted. Something in the grapple fields discomforted them. But the moment a wreck was still, they would rock it out in their thousands. Jessam knew her eyes weren't the sharpest present, but she had a skill none of them did. She noted the speed of the moving bow, the length of the grapples, and her mind whirred, calculating things that she didn't really understand. Your grandmother could do that, Papa had said wonderingly, when as a tiny child she'd done the same. It will be ten clicks long, she said absently. Not seen that big in ten year, the teal objected, but Proam, though he glared at Jessam, said nothing except in a sight of teal. You shut mouth! Growler was muttering. I see the name. It translates as... Call. He fell silent and then added, She's a ghost. Jessam felt her heart thump. Around her, the wreckers muttered. Sure? Proam demanded. The bones of the call are down beside the furnaces if you want to check, Growler replied. I boarded the last one when you were just a pup. Same us! A trim-furred Andal bobbed his head in assent. Ship was still hot in deep. Violent death. Not many pickings as slithering machines too many. A ghost. Once in a while, a ship that had already come to moon and been sliced and gutted and left in pieces came back. The youngers said it was just that whoever made ships must remake some for reasons unknown, that was all. But the olders, they thought different. An ancient wrinkled little Brezza, a species Jessam hadn't seen since that one had died, had told a night-fire gathering that the mysterious war was fought in temporal alts. This time seems intact, Growler said musingly. A full three clicks of the ship was through, sliding out of the eye, shedding blue fire. She seemed undamaged, her colossal slab flanks unholed. The midsection was in view, and though angular, was divided into segments. For variable spin, Jessam thought, though the click-thick blocks weren't moving now. We go in three. No ghost tales. Big prize, Proam announced, and the muttering stopped. Growler, Trumbleor, pick landing spot. Human rat, get there fast, prove useful. Only link talk unless emergency. The grapples were glowing amber, slowing the Titan, when the wreckers set off, variously using kicks, jets and impellers to boost acceleration. Around the hollow sphere, distant lights marked the departure of other groups. Growler had announced that they should aim for a point close to the ferocious energies of the eye to land towards the stern as it came through and to give them a shot at uncontested access to the holds. 
We go down only, Proam reminded them. Not bridge. Never the bridge. Wreckers were superstitious, and tales said that there were dangers there. Jessanne wondered about that, secretly. She'd been too late to ask Papa, and her mother had died when Jessanne was an infant, driven mad by the voices that had killed her own mother before her. Drifting! Proam roared over the short-range link, and Jessanne guiltily corrected her course. She was ahead of the pack, faster and more agile, and would be the first to land. They were close now. The ship had grown from a distant black spear to a dark cliff, as they followed a loop that brought them back on themselves at a sharp angle to avoid the eye and match the course of their target. The less skilled flyers were executing a series of lines, while Jess Am and some others flew in a perfect arc, less than a hundred metres from the flank. They'd flown through the field grapples, too small to be hauled in, but buffeted. The energy fields glowed red and white, and millions of tiny fragments sloughed off the ship's braking hull. This near, the ship wasn't sleek. The big armour plates were rough, pitted and stained. Stubby protrusions broke the symmetry, sometimes a gaping moor bigger than the village, meeting a bubble where a weapon port was unsealed. Most ships were damaged, some broken, all dead, but call, this call, was intact. Nobody knew why these whole ships came here, but then nobody knew why any ships came here. It just seemed more fitting for a vessel that was torn by whatever conflict had raged all these centuries. Why would someone make a beauty like this, then send it to be reduced to slag? The truth was, no one knew where the wrecker's moon was, or why, or what was outside, assuming there was an outside. All they knew was that no living things were meant to be here, and that existence was hard, life short, escape impossible. Jess Am landed perfectly, one gloved hand grasping a raised plate. She checked her crew's position and jetted away, staying in contact with the surface, looking for a hatch. Behind her, she felt the vibrations of others touching down. To the side, she saw an adolescent Tamaric miner, whose suit was decorated with little salvaged metal discs, bounce and rebound, where he squealed until Proam snagged him, only to backhand the youth across his helmet. Be better! No space for useless! she heard. Jess Am jetted up off the hull, ten metres, to get a vantage point, saw a wide, round, embossed circle not far off. With a touch of her boosters, she flipped and landed on it feet first. The impact triggered the mechanism, and the circle slid off and down. Entry! she broadcast. The ships always had their ports open and unlocked, much as they were always devoid of life. Almost always. Every living thing in the moon had ancestors who arrived on a wreck. Some were injured, the stories went, some in cold womb, some trapped in sealed compartments by battle damage. It had been a long time since anyone knew had come. Wait, Proam ordered. He was there a moment later. His kind were designed to be at home in space, he often boasted, without seeming to be clear on what space was exactly. She shuddered to think what they had been meant to do, these brutes. In an instant he passed her, clipping with a shoulder. Always reminding people who's in charge. She'd almost reached her papa's stolen gun as he went, but had stopped herself. Bide your time. She followed into the dark hole, thumbing on her light when inside. Ship armour was thick. She'd seen a perfect cross-section once, when boarding a knife of a ship that Growler had said had been a destroyer. The hull had been split by some unimaginable force, and the cross-section was open to space. It was made up of hundreds of layers, with glittering bands of tiny electronics. Call's armour was hidden behind the sleek metal of the tunnel, but was at least thirty metres thick. The tunnel's bottom end was capped, and the wreckers piled up against the hatch. Air seal, Trumbler announced to murmurs of surprise. Air could mean... All in! Tight! Proam demanded, and when the last one had entered, the top hatch ground shut, and the one they were pressed against opened. To their disappointment, there was no rush of gas. Air must have been vented. Stay suited, Growler said, his voice flat. He was the last vassal, and felt the lack of others of his kind keenly, as did Jess Am as the lone human. 
Their beams lit up a passageway that was wide, hexagonal and clean, other than stationary dust motes hanging like the stars some olders talked of. Trumbalore floated to a wall, running gloved hands over the panels, feeling for the tiny directional buttons and indicators he alone could read. A minute later, pinpricks of blue light raced along a wall. Hold. Cargo, he said. Next, green dots going the same way. Meds. Some energy left in ship. Enough for us. Proam bustled to the front, took off his helmet and clipped it to his harness. He slipped on a breather mask. At this, the hardier vacuum-adapted species did the same, leaving Jessam and most of the others suited up. Two groups, he barked. When splits, we go meds. Growler, take cargo. Jessam was with Proam. She was all at once nauseous and filled with a sense of opportunity. They kicked off down the corridor, using the regular nubs to correct and boost course. A fast flying wedge. Pristine, trilled the hooey, is eerie. Even Proam didn't contradict it. The ship felt like it had been abandoned suddenly. They passed an open door, saw scores of tables on every surface, no G-chairs of every size and shape, a lone beaker that must have drifted out into the corridor when the ship was moved, was hit by a gloved hand and tumbled after them, frozen shards of whatever had been inside spilling out like metal shavings in the lights. Vented fast, froze fast, Trumbalor said. Another hatch was opened to rows of big clear coffins shrouded in electronics. A veal was dispatched to check for inhabitants, came back seconds later with a mute shake of its helmet. They moved on, faster. The guiding dots continued to point the way, through the occasional spherical junction, finally separating a half-click after the long corridor took a right angle against a bulkhead. We're in the centre now, Jessam said, her mental map filling in the route. Yes, that, Trumbalore assented. Ship spine underfoot. Only way through spin sections. Used to be. No spin, no G, Proam declared. The corridor here, that Jessam sensed, ran true through the still section, was a wide tube wrapped around a colossal cylinder. The nominal roof and floor curved out of sight and down to both sides and away into the dark ahead. Spurs branched off to what would have been decks under spin. The whole route wound down to one side, the med indicators the other. Ship stopping, Jessam blurted. She felt it in her head. Proam glared, but didn't argue. Fast, he bellowed. Four slicers. At that word, all the wreckers pressed a limb to whatever hard surface was close, instinctive and the only way to detect the approach of the scrambling machines. At that, the bones of the ship seemed to tremble in pain, and the panels all around the thoroughfare blazed white, causing the wreckers to yell. The lights went out again but the vibration increased. The wreckers withdrew from solid surfaces. Dust motes were dislodged, shivering. Slicers must be working already, Growler said through the link. They're likely cutting a power source out of the hull. Jessam was about to ask a question when she heard someone say, Who's there? Who's that? The voice was tremulous, unsure. She spun, knowing even as she did that none in the crew sounded like that. "'What?' she stammered. The terrible groan stopped, and so did the voice. Growler was looking at her strangely, and Jessam turned her helmet away. "'Is it the human malady?' she wondered, her heart racing. "'Is this how it starts?' A wave of a paw was Proam's signal, and the group split. The med-seeking party branched off a hundred metres along, diving out towards the skin of the ship, through the round entrance that was slotted into a wide groove that ran around the spindle. When the ship had been spinning, Jassam saw, these corridors would have been rotating, but much slower than the distant decks whose crew needed the G. Papa's voice then, unbidden. We're made not to need G, Jessam. That's what your grandmother said. But we'll always like it. There were closed hatches on both sides as they progressed. The hull side of the hatches became flatter and eventually resembled a flat floor. Here, Trumbalore said, pointing to an unremarkable door. As he bent to fiddle with a recessed panel, Proam ushered two long-limbed reavers forward. 
They bent with practised ease, feeling the hull-side edge, bracing themselves against the frame. Trumblor murmured in satisfaction, and the door slid a little. Whether or not it would have powered all the way open, they never found out, because the entire ship vibrated again, and all along the corridor, lights flashed. The hatch jerked a hand's breadth, then stopped. But Jessam hardly noticed. Help me, please, help me, lass, the voice was saying in her head. I'll show you how to find me. No, Jessam stammered, thankful for the noise of the call's death throes. The grinding ceased, and the dark returned. The wreckers touched walls, waiting, not for the rumble of the ship's gutting, but for the skittering tapping that signalled slices. Nothing. Try more, Proam demanded. When it became clear that the hatch was jammed, he snorted derisively. Weak. Hold door. Small ones, human rat, in, said Proam and the four wreckers, who looked like they might squeeze through, tried to slither under the door. Only two, Jessam and Trumblor, were able to, but Proam pulled the wreck expert back. Too valued. Might be danger, he said, and kicked Jessam all the way under. Jessam thumbed on her lamp and whistled inside her helmet. The room was lined with cabinets on the hull side, some of which had toppled. A third of those remaining contained supplies. Most she didn't recognise, but she saw fixed boxes, the prized thumb-sized devices that dispense medicines to every species. Hundreds of them. Supplies that would have saved Papa a thousand times over. She fumbled at her belt, pulling out a tiny ball of fibre that shook out to a mesh bag larger than herself. Lots in here, she reported through the link as she started to fill the bag. To Jess Am's surprise, there was no answer. She listened, her proam talking, a squawker barking something back. Much? How? he was demanding, and then he laughed. On way! Guard loot! Jessam was about to crawl out when Proam's wide face pressed under the gap. He looked happy, and his tone was almost genial. Growler found treasure! Beamers, power blocks, more! Fill bag, little human! Stay here! And with that his face vanished. Finally, she could explore. Jessam lifted the bag and drew the mesh tight and pushed it out into the empty corridor. The door had dropped a little more and she had a moment of panic as she wriggled under. Jessam kicked off back up the way the group had come. The short-range suit link died. For emergencies, she had the squawker. Jessam had a secret plan. She would see a ship's bridge for herself. Without the others to slow her, she raced along the corridors, flashlight pointing ahead. There was a dream quality to it, and she imagined that the ship was sleeping, waiting for a crew, and that she was one of them, racing to the bridge with news that would mean they would leave this awful moon, bound for adventures among the stars. There was a faster way to the bridge, Jessam's internal map told her. Back from the frozen spin sections, the ship was a maze of corridors and tunnels, but there was an order to them. The wide corridors were straight and ran parallel to the hull, and smaller access routes joined them with spherical junctions. There were occasional capsule stops, too, sleek cylinders that would have taken half the wreckers in each, and would have rolled along silver lines, she thought. Stopped forever now. She moved away from the hull, deeper, and on a whim took a wide spur off the main corridor after feeling a faint, regular vibration on the wall. She came out on a long, enclosed gallery, looking into an oblong room three hundred metres long. Long hydronic racks ran the length of it, stacked five wide, and the same high. All were empty, save for one, halfway to the distant group of rings, her sense of direction, told Jessam, pointed to the hull. There, three identical craft were snarled up, their racks twisted and their hulls crushed nose to tail. A dull red light pulsed weakly above them, causing or accompanied by the vibration. They were big, by human scale, thirty metres long, pointed, with a large hemisphere embedded in the back. The drive, she knew. A long barrel was slung under the length of each, terminating in a muzzle at the nose. The rest of the hull was covered in blisters that every wrecker knew to avoid, as once in a while they spewed deadly shards. Killers, 
she recalled Growler calling these odd, lethal little ships, that once in a while came through the eye in clusters, burnt. Poor pickings, as they had no space for living crew, so no supplies or comforts, just unexploded munitions and deadly surprises. She'd never seen them in context, nesting inside a titan-like call. Jessam took the next branch back towards the bridge. It must be close, she thought, as she paused in a junction that was thick with floating specks of something grey. Jessam was about to move on when a cacophony of voices burst from the squawker. A high voice Jessam didn't recognise, a raider from another village then, was shrieking. Wasn't us! We careful removing Beamer! Then Proam roaring, You turned on! Made them come with! The energy stored inside must have alerted them, Growler added in the background. Priam snarled. Wreckers back! Take what can carry, fast only! Back to entry place! A chittering sounded like a nest villager. They were a single species. Tiddlers. Fordway blocked! Second party taken! Slicers flooding in! Tens of tens of tens! Slicers! Mostly the sinuous metal creations stuck to their routine. Dormant when no wrecks are in, and slow and deliberate in the latter stages of slicing up a ship, as if the small tasks were to be savoured. But at the start, when a new ship was towed in, then they raced, and chased priorities only they knew, apt to slice any organic into a fine mist with their cutting limbs and torches and corrosive chemicals. Jessam cursed. So close! But it would be stupid to press on when slicers were on the move. She did an about-flip with her boosters and was halfway back to the entry hatch when something barreled out of the dark and sent her spinning. Jessam shouted in fear and anger. Please, no! A figure even smaller than herself howled through the link, throwing boneless pink tentacles up defensively. A ging, she realised. The smart little gender-free species was always welcome in the village for their technical skill set. This one wore a cut-down ancient suit dyed orange, a member of the Rust tribe that lived inside the strut opposite the Wreckers' village behind the eye then. Trade was uncommon between the two, as the short route, a boost across the open space so close to the eye and the rotating collar of cables down to the rotating band, was prone to attract attention, and the trip around the surface of the moon was a dangerous and lengthy undertaking. The way out is back there, Jassam said, trying to steady the nervous creature. It tried to break free, battering her with soft tentacles. They're close behind. Snatched all the rust team. Gone. All gone. Chasing me. The ring of eyes around the bulbous little creature's soft-peaked body were darting around. Jessanne was about to reply when she felt it. A staccato vibration through the edge of the corridor she'd ended up on. Slices. Ging took off, and she kicked off after, envious of its agility. She was the fastest of the wreckers, though, so could almost keep up. This way leads to the bridge, she warned. Care not for superstition, care for staying alive, it replied. Jessam's mental map suggested that unless this wide corridor ended, they'd pass under the bridge and head towards the engines. Slicers were drawn to them, seeking out the deepest and most precious parts. The ship juddered, shook, and heaved. Rexpine breaking, the ging volunteered. What happened in the hold? Jessam shouted back. What made the slicers swarm? The beamer those fools from bottom side were trying to remove had trace power in. For sure it would have alerted the slicers, but they were already on the move. Something else made them angry, replied the ging. They came to one of the junctions. Two corridors were closed off. The ging, they called themselves by the species name when dealing with non-ging, Jessam remembered, rotated a dozen dark eyes towards her. A spread of tentacles gave a universally understood shrug, and she was about to give her best guess when the corridor behind her trembled. She touched a wall, feeling a scrabbling vibration. I... Jessam started, and then the voice in her head said determinedly, Come up! Straight up, lass! Quickly! She jumped and then decided, Up! The two barreled into the smaller corridor. Up! towards the bridge. The connecting corridor was narrow, ringed with what had to be stubby muzzles, all pointing down. She took a breath, boosted up, and gave silent thanks that they didn't fire. The pair had just cleared the top, 
when the bottom behind them was filled with a seething mass of twisting metal spines. Where to? Ging shrieked. They were in a cylinder ten metres across and many times higher. The centre of the floor was marked in a carousel of wide circles, whose twins were high above. The walls had rungs inset. Around the sides a half-dozen doors were ranged, all but one closed. Propel tubes, Ging said, tentacles waving upward, would boost us up if powered. Jessam listened, heard no guiding voice, only the slicers as they boiled up the corridor behind them. Up, she snapped, bounding off from the floor, Ging behind her. They hit the top a few seconds later, thumping hard and scrabbling for purchase. Should open, Ging howled, tentacles thudding on the bottom of a half-dozen round irised hatches. They didn't budge. She recalled Trumbelor fiddling around with the tiny recessed buttons beside doors, and in desperation started doing the same, fingers sliding around on the pitted surface. Beneath them, the floor of the chamber filled with slices, their five-metre-segmented bodies, coiling and uncoiling around a silent chaos of blades and edges. Their sheer numbers and headlong rush was causing them to tangle, slowing the chase. Not for long. Blunt heads rotated, fixed on the two. Open now! Ging screeched. Jessam found a tiny raised set of blisters, pushed them randomly as one of the slicers disentangled itself from its fellows and gathered itself to launch upwards. A moment later, before Jessam could shout a warning, it leapt, propelling itself up much faster than she and Ging had managed. She hit a last button. One of the hatches ground open, stopping a third of the way. Ging moved faster than Jessam thought possible and deformed, its torso ballooning through the hole with a hiss of relief and pain. The slicer slammed into the roof. An outflung claw nicked Jessam's leg, spraying goblets of blood and air, before the smart seal tightened around the wound. The bulk of the slicer's body rebounded, carrying it back down the tube. Before it had a chance to right itself, Jessam flipped feet first through the partially opened hatch, painfully hauling her legs, hips and torso through, aided by Ging's muscular grip. To her surprise and satisfaction, Jessam saw the loot bag had tumbled in with her. She went to secure it on her back and almost fainted from the pain. A dislocated shoulder. She fumbled a fixed box out of the mesh net and rammed it into a port on her suit's side. A cool sensation washed over her from top to toe. A few metres away, the returned slicer raged at the hatch, spines and hooks clattering silently against the metal. There's not much time. We need to leave. The voice in Jessam's head was weak and then tapered off. Then it returned, strong, determined. Lass, come to me. I don't remember at all, but I know what you are and what I was, and that we need to leave. Come to the centre of the bridge, fast. It's me thereafter, to finish it. Jessam looked around, taking the chamber in for the first time. Beside her, Ging cowered, but was likewise staring. The room was unremarkable, which was somehow a letdown. Flat, hemispherical, with metre-deep trenches in the floor that had gaps and holes for limbs. Most were recessed, but one, the largest and closest, had a shivering phantom of a screen in it. The image was faint, and seemed to be of the inside of the moon, if the jaggedly drawn sphere surrounding a long blocky dart that must be the call was any indicator. Jessam's eyes searched beyond that for an indication of what lay outside the moon, but nothing was apparent. Then she noticed the statue in the gloom. It was beside a wide raised rim in the middle of the room. Two giant armoured figures locked in combat. One, the smaller, holding the upraised arm of the other to prevent it from delivering a killing blow from a blade. Why have such a decoration? Then she noticed blackened holes in the statue. Not a statue, she realised. Armoured figures, frozen in death. She floated over, trailed by Ging. Something had gone off, some charge or blast that had scorched and killed them both and dented the decks above and below. The smaller one was a little taller than Papa. The bigger was the same dimension as Proam. Their suits were melted, gluing them to one another and the floor. 
The blistered trail, she saw as she soared higher, continued over the raised section and down into the well in the middle. In here, lass. Fast. Jessam looked back at the hatch, saw the slicer had cut almost enough room to force its body through. She glanced at Ging, who shrugged. They jetted over the lip, Ging snaking a thin tentacle around Jessam's ankle so she towed the little creature. The chamber below was a short, fat cylinder, only a few metres deep, and the same across. It contained a raised slab of composite that had a shallow depression on top. There was also a shattered, opaque globe that Jessam would have struggled to get her arms around. It had rested, she guessed, on a metal pedestal. The walls were plain and grey. What she'd taken to be debris turned out to be another big armoured figure, dead and frozen, a neat hole through the front of its helmet and the wall behind. Proam species, she thought. A big handgun was still in one paw. The depression in the centre of the slab caught Jessam's eye. Human-shaped, larger than her, smaller than Papa, and a dozen fine silver cables floated on all sides, stained, as was the couch, and the wall was something rust-coloured. There were circular gouges on the floor, the couch, and the walls around the remains of the globe. I don't remember what they did to her, lass, or to me. He stopped them, though, before they could finish. It will come back to me. The voice was originating from this chamber, she knew with certainty. Ging was sifting through the shards of glass, unaware of the voices in Jessam's head. It turned silently, held up a larger piece, about as long as her hand, and slightly pearlescent compared to the rest of the fragments. Still powered. Live, he said, looking closely at the fragment in what Jessam took for astonishment. Take me, lass, the voice said, and Jessam reached out a hand, accepting the heavy glass shard from Ging. Ging waved tentacles in distress. Bad things here. This was ship... Word evades. Soul! Ging, hold this in reverence. What is it saying? The voice asked plaintively. Where are we? We need to leave, Jessam stated. And to the shard of soul, imagined herself saying, Get us out of here, please. She jumped when the shard replied. The voice seeming to gather itself, angry now. I remember. A little. Betrayal! My poor, dear pilot! They betrayed all of my sisters and our human pilots for a shameful peace! Up in the room behind, a flicker of sparks, dancing shadows on the roof. Now, she thought. Look for a way down. It's the secret way. Look for something. Look for a switch or a button, Jessam shouted to Ging who raced around the chamber, tentacles flitting over every bump and recess. She paused, wondering where the logical place might be. If the way out were to be triggered by the occupant of the couch, she imagined lying back, arms in the grooves, and then sitting up, swinging her legs. There, under the edge of the couch, a protrusion. She pulled, pushed, twisted. Finally, a narrow hatch slid open in the floor. She stowed the fragment in a pocket and dove in. She stowed the fragment in a pocket and dove in, feeling the soft battering of tentacles behind her, pushing her on. The tunnel was narrow, twisted and black. Her light showed the hatch above, slide shut. Maybe too small for a slicer? Ging fluttered hopefully. A few minutes later the shard spoke, softly, broken. What did they do to you, my love? To us? A head, curled in the fetal position in the tiny space, a human woman in a dark blue ship suit. Her head was shaved, and her face twisted in pain and wrinkled dry and dark. Frozen black gobbets stuck to the wall and the torn front of her clothing. Who was she? Jessam thought. She was me. I was her. We were... the ship... They took us by surprise because they knew we would never accept a surrender when the terms were every ship's murder. I'm smaller now. They destroyed all the ship's souls. Every one. 
the voice tailed off. A sad, lost creature, thought Jessam. Or a child. Behind, a grating vibration. Go! Ging shrieked. Jessam couldn't pass the corpse, so had to push it ahead, a grisly vanguard, until the tube widened and they saw a regular hatch. She gently pushed the woman to the side, and it was then she saw a glint of silver. She saw the grip of a metal pistol protruding from the pocket. Take, take, Ging urged. If same as stop the Atur will be useful. Atur, Jessam said, and then remembered that that was the proper name for Proam's species. Ging chattered on. Atur were soldiers on ships made for task. That's why so unpleasant. Jessam examined the little weapon, touched a stud with her suit finger, and saw tiny lights come on. Let's go, she said, pushing at the hatch, kicking out into the chamber beyond. The room was empty, save for storage lockers, and three big stubby lozenges lined up above a wide tube. Escaping craft, Ging chattered, and leapt onto the bottommost, fussing with the little pod's controls. Still trace power. While Ging fiddled, Jessam went through the lockers. Suits were a rare find in any wreck. These lockers contained more and better than Jessam had ever heard of. She started picking out those that might fit smaller species. Suits were more than precious among the villages. They were life or death. The one Jessam currently wore was bulky, ancient, patched, broken and amateurishly repaired a hundred times. These prizes were a fraction of the bulk, pristine, white and orange and black. Ging reached a tentacle out from the little pod, touched a wall. Slices coming! Jessam rammed as many suits as she could into the pod's storage space, hauled herself in and pulled the round hatch closed. Ging fluttered tentacles over the controls, and they were pressed into their seats, tumbling through the hull. Hope slice is not close on hull. Think we're debris, Ging said. Hope you can steer this, Jessam added. Take me to Wrecker's village before you go back to Rust, Jessam asked as they looked back at the distant ship. It was swarming with slices now, thousands of little metal dots crawling all over the hull. Chunks of hull plate were coming loose, village-sized chunks of innards being towed down to the processes, and Jessam had noticed a knot of slithering machines boosting over to one of the elevator cables that led down to the rotating equator. Call's name will be down there soon, she thought, along with whatever it is they take from the wrecks. The shard of the ship's soul had been silent since they found the desiccated woman. Maybe I imagined it all, Jessam thought. Maybe it's the human malady that took mother, and her mother. It's no sickness, lass. It's what you're meant to do, the voice said angrily. Who are you? I mean, what's your name? Jessam said out loud. Ging looked at her in silent concern. I'm cool. Or I was, until they take what's left of me to spinning the ring I sense through your eyes. I'll use that name, Jessam thought, and on impulse added, and help you be complete again. I think she would have liked that. I think I would like that, lass. What happens if you go to the ring? Jessam asked Cool, realization dawning. That's what's down there, isn't it? Ship souls, one from every wreck? the voice came back. A particular spin and absolute cold caused my kind to sleep. Whatever, whoever we are, we only live under certain conditions in our vessels. That ring is death, but not quite. And forever. I think I sense them, legions of fractured sisters, dormant and hurt. Why did they betray you? And the humans? Jessam asked. Call was silent for a while, and Jessam thought the shattered soul had lost its senses again. Then, in a whisper, the childlike voice said, It was because of the things we did to avoid losing the war. The things they made us do. They were terrible, vital things, but when they saw the results, they did not have the courage to see it through. I... I don't know who won. I don't remember. I... Call's voice edged into panic, then fell silent. 
pod yours, for saving me, Ging ventured. No, you keep it, Jassam replied, and take some of the suits too. I'm assuming not many of your party would have made it out. The little Ging waved tentacles anxiously. None in probability. Suits and pod will help, yes. And with that they drifted in a long stealthy corkscrew to the strut that housed the wreckers' village. You may not want to get too close, Jessam said. Proam. Know that type, Ging said. Will you be safe? Safer than before. I have the pistol, and he's not getting that. Plus, I probably got out with more than he did. He won't touch me for a while. And maybe he didn't make it out? Be good if not, Ging ventured, and Jessam smiled for the first time in a long while. Care not! Human rats can have, Proam rumbled, and knuckled away. Jessam shrugged, then turned her attention to the netted globe of salvage that comprised her possessions. They were to be taken to the small, high, desirable bubble room she'd been given once the raid had been assessed, loot tallied, and the dead mourned and towed stealthily down the strut to be fed into the glow of a forgotten processor. Beside her, Growler grunted, picked up Jessam's splendid new suit with his good arm, and stared around the scattered crowd. A few, then several more, shamefacedly came forward, and likewise lifted an item each, boosted up. It was the village way, when someone moved quarters. Even a human. At least, when that human had brought back the hall of a lifetime. Proam had been surprised to see her, but swiftly claimed her mission to find the trove of suits and fixed boxes had been his doing, and Jessam had not argued. She'd merely stared. He looked at her then, long and hard, taking in the butt of the silver pistol, and come to a decision. A truce, she knew. Nothing more. Nothing permanent. The raid had gone badly. Eight dead, more wounded, but spectacular loot had been brought back. Radiators with charges that would heat the village for decades, an air recycler, a trio of tiny atmosphere shield generators to expand the village, and various other items that Trumblor, as soon as he recovered from his head injury, would spend years assessing. That sleep time, Jess Am sat in her bubble, looking out at the gap in the strut, across at and past call. She had a tiny laser Ging had given her. She aligned it to the setting it had indicated and flashed it once. Not long after, a return flash from the faraway rust settlement. Ging was alive then, at least. Signal and fleet code, we can talk, it flashed, as it turned the pod away. The shard, cool, had been silent, hidden, since it had remembered. Shock, maybe, Jessam thought. Perhaps it had died from knowing what it was. She had told the villagers nothing about the bridge, the body of the pilot, or the armoured suits frozen in their death throes. I will fix you, she thought, pulling the lump of glass out, holding it in her hand. She fancied she could see tiny lights deep inside. The voice came. I think you will, lass. She would have wanted it to be you. Let me tell you what I remember about pilots and ships. And vengeance? Jessam whispered out loud. And that, replied Call. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And there you go. Big thank you, David, sir. Thank you very much. And Andrea, oh, it's lovely to have you on again, Andrea. Thank you so much. Yes, excellent. So that is today's show. So I had one more idea, and it was mentioned actually on Patreon, and I thought that was a, a really nice, a good idea, and, you know, some folks might want it. Over on Patreon, you know, you've got the kind of ad-free for £2, and then you've got certain other levels. Well, someone mentioned about a week ago there now what to have a, you know, kind of an ad-free Talk just on, you know, just on Patreon without anything, just the story. So basically, it would be me saying this story is by David Gray and narrated by Andrea Richardson. And that would be it. Do you know what I mean? There would be nothing else. You just go straight into the story. So I'm thinking about doing that over on Patreon and setting that as, you know, and we've got lots over there who are kind of supporting on the five pound level. And if you're on that level already, you can, you'll get that. So I'm thinking of doing that anyways. But another thing is, if you're on Patreon, I get so many of these. Get the private RSS feed so you miss out the ads. Just go to District of Wonders, the home page, and it's there. Click and copy it and put it in your, you know, put it in your podcaster. So you're getting the shows a day early and you're missing out all the ads anyways. And, you know... <laughs> eventually you might get this way it's just if you ask what you want just the pure story no none of this me here having a good time eh? singing and dancing <laughs> hey so that is today's show i hope you'll stick around and you know come back next time and i said stick around and enjoy it until next week just like to say good night from me this presentation has been brought to you by the district of wonders network dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction you can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I don't get out much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing to the moon But the work is going slowly It won't get to you anytime soon Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I want to talk to you This signal's going light speed By the time I get my say I move slow, so I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go. Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you. I'd need only the will to fly I'm still building word by word And I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there by and by
get out there I'll get out there by and by I'll get out there by and by I'll get out 